and welcome to another episode of Two Beers, Please. I am Matthew Phillips. He's Yannick and Karnasau, and we're here to talk all things sports, uh, pop culture, whatever random things inevitably come up. Can you tell that I woke up at 3.30 the last two days? I already, I, I, it's already affecting my performance. This is, this is my flu game, uh, which is kind of, that's a, that's a really low bar to set for yourself. Um, but we're going to talk about the NBA finals. Of course, Yannick's Celtics making it there, going up against the Warriors. Uh, it's been, I don't think we, I don't think we talked at all through either of the conference finals, Jan. No, we didn't. The last time we talked was right before. And I know this because on our podcast platform, uh, we always give ourselves nicknames. And the nickname that I had last time was Game 7, baby. And I was like, wow, that was right before the Heat and the Celtics played Game 7. So we haven't we didn't get to talk about the winner because we haven't done an episode since, um, spoiler alert, the Celtics won and went to the finals. (laughs) Spoiler alert. I, like that. I really, I really hope. I mean, if you, if that was a spoiler for you, then uh, kind of actually just impressive to uh, to stay out of the the scope of of the NBA Finals. But yeah, Finals been a good one. We've got Game Six tonight, so by the time people listen, we will either have a champion or we will have a Game Seven. I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of rooting against Boston you know, just because I'm a New Yorker, but the basketball fan in me wants a game seven because I feel like this this series deserves it. Yeah, it, I you know, I I'm actually not too not too nervous about tonight, not because I think the Celtics are definitely going to win, but because you know, it, the last two games have been kind of weird. I I feel like the series started really well and now it's we're not seeing the best of the of the Boston Celtics right now and and we're just and the Warriors are playing well but they're also you know you're seeing Steph have a couple great games but past that it's like two teams that are both playing below their potential a little bit um and so I'm like listen I I hope we don't lose tonight of course I want a game seven but if we lose tonight we lose you know then we're the worst team because three games in a row we've been the worst team um in terms of consistency and and uh and I don't really have a lot of hope for us to win the finals. Like I, I'm feeling very dejected right now. I think so. Anything that happens tonight is going to happen, and I'll get pumped for the team again if they get to a game seven, which which they might. But it's just been such a weird last two games. Um, yeah, so that that's where I'm at. <laughs> just even like the way the series has played out, it hasn't been like like yes, I think the Warriors overall are up because Steph has been the best player. But like even last game, he didn't make a three. And I think like overall, it's been it, the Warriors to me have kind of proved wrong of, of what I thought would kind of limit them. Cause I always kind of thought I was like, there's no way Steph can play out of his mind and all these role players can play out of their minds. But like Andrew Wiggins, I think probably just had his best two games of his career. Like Andrew Wiggins has certainly shut me the hell up. He's been phenomenal with like rebounding the ball defensively um, and, and picking his spots and scoring very well, like keeping Tatum active on the defensive side, which is a big thing to kind of, you know, tire out an offensive player when you, when you're still making them uh, have to compete on the defensive side of the ball, um, which sometimes Wiggins does like sometimes Wiggins isn't that player. And, and he's done that. He's taken his, his, his moments big time. Um, and that's big, the biggest thing for the Warriors to me is like, it seems like like pool stepped up a little bit last game. Uh, we've seen Gary Payton make plays. Draymond struggled scoring a, a lot, but like doing all the other 
Draymond things. And, and even Clay like hasn't been the traditional sort of Clay, but man, when he's like, there, there's some times where he he'll hit a couple shots in a row, and it's like that's if that's all he does for the game, uh, that's kind of all you need. And and like for a guy that's coming back from that injury too is still really effective on, on defense. And I've always thought that clay has been like an extremely underrated defender. Yeah, no, I mean, the warriors are all playing pretty well. I, I you know, not, no one, if they were playing any more above average, they would be blowing the Celtics out. This would have been a sweep. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, like my point, like was kind of like building on yours of like, cause they haven't all been great. It's been different guys, like stepping up when things haven't been great. And I, and like, I think the Celtics, Throughout the Eastern final, like playoffs, when they weren't playing great, they're the I mean, Grant Williams had some great games. Of course, Marcus Smart, uh, but like that, they've kind of lost that in, in the final. Like that, I feel like that's been been the difference. Right, they're playing more like they did at the beginning of the season, where they didn't win too many games because they have a bunch of players that can all score twenty. Um, but at the end of the day, you do need someone to take over. And they did that in the Eastern Conference final. Like you're, you know, you had Al Horford taking over for a couple career games. Grant Williams, Derek White, um, Jalen Brown had a couple great games. Marcus Smart, obviously Jason Tatum. And, and, you know, that was always the question going into this one because you knew the Warriors were going to have a game or two like that from Steph. They were just going to. Um, and the Celtics needed to have those performances again. And when you take those performances away, what you have is two very even teams. And the difference is one of those teams has a lot of players that has been to the finals before. So it just, it does make a difference. I, I think it has, even if it's a small difference, that small difference has you three, two up rather than what it looked like it might be, which is, you know, three, one down. Um, and I think it, it just has shown and, uh, you know, unfortunately, the Celtics, they need to prove tonight that they have that guy. I don't know who that guy is going to be, but they have to prove tonight that somebody can step up. And if it's the main star is fine. And if it's the minority star is fine. Um, but otherwise, they're they're going to lose tonight and it's going to and it's going to it's not going to be uh, well received. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Clay Thompson is his over the playoffs. His return from this injury has been, you know, a story in its own doesn't get enough credit. Uh, yeah, I don't know where that episode is where we said Andrew Wiggins is never going back to the All-Star game, but uh, chalk, chalk a loss up there because he's Dude. he's been phenomenal. He's been and he, phenomenal. he honestly, he still might not, but like he, this performance alone, I like I'll you well done, Andrew. And he was, I mean, he was the number one pick for, for a reason. And I think like good on him as well for coming to the Warriors and being like, like, he he had to drop his ego. Like he, he's not coming in there as the number one pick saving the day anymore. Like that's not who you are anymore, Andrew Wiggins. And I like I think that's good. Like good on him. Where now I mean he could he could be going back to all star like games. But I, I think he at least is like dang. Like Andrew Wiggins has. I think we weren't really sure what his career should be like. It was going to be oh he's he's always going to be a, a talented guy, but like maybe never reach those, those heights that he could have reached. And I mean. I'm not saying he's going to become like super, super perfect number one pick now, but I, I think we're seeing you know, a, a very, very confident and uh, effective NBA player in him. Yeah, I mean, especially on the defensive side, when you look what he's done against Jason Tatum, of course, on the offensive side, these last couple of games, but he's contributed really well in the sack categories and played really good defense. And that's what the Warriors needed to, you know, level up with uh, level the playing field with a good Boston defense. Uh, and he and he's shown up big. So, 
yeah, I mean, that's the story. That's why the Warriors are up 3-2. And, and we'll see what, what team the Boston Celtics bring out today. You know, they're on home court. What does that mean? You know, the last time they were on home court, it was good. Um, you know, I mean, like, when they needed to win a game. Um, and But, like, throughout the playoffs, they haven't been good on home court. So it's like, we'll see, you know, which team shows up. Uh, but, I, I mean... I, I, for some reason in my head, I see Steph dropping 40 and, and, and having the best, you know, having the best finals win of his career, uh, in terms of being the guy that leads the team. So we'll see what happens though. I mean, there is, there is still that moment that could happen for Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. There's still that moment that could happen for him, but, uh, you know, there's also game six clay that, you know, you wonder is game six clay going to show up (laughs) so many storylines and it's all, it's all going to be interesting to see what happens. Well, we've seen the Warriors the last two games, I think, like really, I mean, to me, the last two games were must wins for the Warriors. Like, I, I didn't see, like, even if, if like, that, if they would have lost at home and gone down 3-2, and I obviously they were going to go down 3-1, I, I like, they would have been done. So we've seen them, like, with their backs against the wall, must win, be able to fight back. Now, can they have that same sort of effectiveness, and, and, like, with kind of smelling blood? Because it's it's one win away, and I, th- I think they're a team that probably... <laughs> As someone who's lost when they were up three, one, uh, a team who knows like whether you're going home for game seven or not, it is confident as you want to be like you, you don't want to give a, a team any sort of chance to, to come back in the series. So I think they're going to certainly do what they can to, to finish it tonight. Uh, it'll be, it'll be a good one. Uh, make sure you are following two beers, please. Facebook page, the Twitter page two BP underscore podcast. And the wonderful Instagram page, two beers please underscore podcast. Go follow, like, like all of our posts. It like honestly helps a ton, and it's super easy, and um, we can see who does it. So it's like, wow, I appreciate you. I was gonna make up like a weird uh, username. I appreciate you, Tom L ninety three. We have a Tom that likes things. I feel like that seems like a rel- That seems like a good. That seems like a good guess. So yeah. Tom L93, Tom L93, the real MVP. You are you're, you're an incredible guy. Jan, what are you sipping on tonight? Yeah, I got a I got a Corona today. I I drank a Corona the night that the Celtics, you know, won last against the Warriors. So I thought it's gonna be a, it's like a good kind of. Um, good kind of beer to like drink for some luck i got a celtics wristband on also so repping the team i have this thing where i don't wear the jersey until the fourth quarter it's kind of like what i've been doing this whole time and uh so that's that's why i'm not wearing the jersey just in case you were wondering Uh, yeah 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 it's kind of like y'all do the work the first three i'll bring the work for the fourth and um and that's kind of that's kind of the relationship i have with my team right now what what are you sipping on (laughs) yeah i like i like to like gauge and i feel like i have this with teams as well but like there's teams you just like care about more and like i like comparing your like celtics fanhood to like i think i would say i would say your patriots one is more intense and then uh, all boston teams can get absolutely screwed when it comes to germany and Bayern Munich. like which i love because like i know i think in my heart like the packers and the hawkeyes are like my two even as much as i love manchester united like i think they're probably like a little bit and I, I don't know if that's like a common sports thing. I mean, I think a lot of sports fans aren't fans of so many teams and, and follow those teams actively. Like yeah. I, I it like, is, the- like it is kind of a, like, there is like a, a rare person who's like, yeah, I've got a squad that I'm invested in for 
all four or five. Like, yeah, soccer and like, yeah. It's a lot. Like, I love the Bruins and I love the Red Sox, but I love them a lot more when the Bruins were going far in the playoffs and the Red Sox were in the ALCS. Like, that's just true. And I love the Celtics. The Celtics is probably the team that's gaining the most traction. You know, I've watched them since their IT years now pretty consistently. So now I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm able to call myself like a good Celtics fan. Um, But yeah, I mean, I watched Germany play Italy in the Nations League and I was fucking losing my shit. Like, uh, I was like, this game doesn't mean anything, but (laughs) I'm but I want to fuck you in. Oh my god! Speaking of which, can we just talk about Hungary embarrassing England on on, yes. on their home turf and like just oh oh so nice. I love it. I love seeing the English lose like that. It, just, it brings some it brings a little joy to my heart. <laughs> it does. I wish it was. I wish it was from a you know nation that wasn't so douchey sometimes. Yes, that's also true. But uh, but it is it is always enjoyable to see England being humble. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, but yeah, I, I agree. Germany and and the Patriots. It's we'll see what that ha- how we'll see how that trajectory goes in the next like five years because because like <laughs> yeah, it's pretty know, pretty fucking easy to be a Patriots fan with Tom Brady as as quarterback. Which in my def- like in my not defense also argument against me all through my Packers life has been Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. So I have no idea what the bad quarterback days are going to be like. And I'm terrified. Yeah. I, uh, we, uh, Devontae Parker is our best wideout. So that's where I'm at. Um, (laughs) but that's where I'm at guys. Uh, you have to feel better about your quarterback situation in like five years than I do. That's true. Quarterback situation, I definitely feel better than than you will in five that's years. All that, that's all that matters. But like, who knows? Maybe, you know. I know. You, maybe you can you get lucky take, again. <laughs> you, yeah, maybe you only suck for one year, you tank it, you get a top three pick, and then, you know, you're back in it. That's football. I don't know why, but that's football. And like, especially nowadays, like quarterbacks are, I mean, just almost any position. They're like, there isn't that... <laughs> rookie learning curve like at all really anymore like it's like all right welcome to the league like i've been i feel like even 10 years ago it, it, there, i mean there were some decisions and some like great players that they were like yeah we're gonna play you right from the start but i feel like for the most part there's like all right you're gonna you're gonna get there and now it's just like no boom right like i remember being like oh yeah these the draft so i'll hear of these guys in two years like and i'll not know what's going on with them until then yeah and, uh and now it's like i have to know all these rookies because fantasy you know gotta gotta know who's who to pick up in fantasy yeah and then well and even just like defensively too like got cowboys with digs and uh like and micah parson like these guys are coming in and, and not not only like playing but like highly impacting the game like it's not even just like that the, the teams are like we want to start playing them earlier. Like they're, they're ready. Uh, so I am sipping on, on a, uh, I got a, a new Belgium voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA. Oh yeah. I went with a nice strong beer, um, which with the lack of sleep is probably going to do. It's going to feel like a full, it's going to feel like a full six pack. Love that. We love one beer that can get you messed up like six can. <laughs> That's yeah, really, what else could you ask for? Dude, sometimes too, like this one, I got that one. I do my, my whole foods run and they got like those ones for like $2 and 50 cents. Like the same as like a tall boy for like Budweiser. I'm like, this is, I mean, come on, you're giving me this sort of deal. 
that's dangerous. That is what that is. That is that is very dangerous. It is. It is dangerous. <laughs> All right, Jan. Let's get into some more sports talk. We'll certainly get back into the NBA Finals uh, here in a little bit. But let's start in golf. Uh, U.S. Open is this weekend. Rory, is Rory still in the lead? He was in the I lead last check. I, I think he is doing well. Um, so yeah, I think he's doing pretty. I think he's doing pretty well. I think yeah, it's him and he and is Kepka, He's three. He's right? three under. He's three under, and uh, Adam Hadwin, he's got one more hole to play, it looks like. He is four under. I hey, have there you go, Adam. I have never, I've never heard of Adam Hadwin. Uh, so, Adam. No, me neither. Welcome to my golf knowledge, and good work, man. You got, you got three more days of trying to keep that lead, so good luck. We know that that doesn't always stay pat, but low scores there. Um, yeah, the big golf talk, though, is – the LIB, the Saudi-backed new sort of golf league, um, and the PGA, and kind of the the battle that's going on there right now. P, uh, certain players that have joined the the LIB, including Phil Mickelson, are getting like banned from certain PGA events. What are your What are your feelings about about this topic? Who's in the right? Who's in the wrong? And, and what kind of like solution, if there is a, an easy one that you like, kind of see maybe happening? Yeah, I mean, I have a couple thoughts about this. The first thing is, like, for those of you that don't know golf all that well, like myself, I had to look up, like, when's the last time the PGA went through a situation like this? And the answer is never. They've never been challenged like this since 1912 when they were founded. And, you know, monopolies are never good for any kind of business because they're not forced to change. And that, that way they just do whatever they want, which is kind of the impetus that's been given that's given these players a reason to leave the PGA players. Yeah. Like Mickelson and Sergio Garcia, who might be past their prime, but also like Brooks Kepka and, and, and Bryson DeChambeau. Um, and so, you know, the question is like, who's in the right, who's in the wrong. I definitely think the PGA, there's like a good side to this where maybe with this new league, the PGA is forced to change some of its rules and like, you know, get better in that way for the players. Um, you know, I, it's all money and money's gross as, as like, I know it's a part of the game, but this it's all money. Like you, there's none of these players from the PGA are leaving because they're like, I'm being treated unfairly by the PGA. Like, Absolutely. like Brooks Kepka's like, I need to do this for my family. I'm like, no, you don't just say you're yeah. doing it for the money, dude. Or like, I mean, like, if, like if you're saying you're doing it for your family, so you're like, yeah, I'm going to make sure we get generational wealth. That is what I'm like, which, Hey, I, okay. I mean, yeah. like, I, I think there's a reported number that Phil Mickelson got paid $200 million to like help make this thing. Which, if I was Phil Mickelson, and as he said, like kind of ending the end of my career, so it was like, hey, uh, we'll pay you two hundred million dollars to say screw off to the your somewhat kind of employer over the last thirty years. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's interesting. We're kind of seeing a, an opposite situation of the UEFA Super League, where the Super League people started hating on it and it was shut down, and now it's like the LAV people started liking on it, and more players are going. Um, and like, you can't ignore the Saudi ties to the LIV. I have nothing against the country of Saudi Arabia, but the person that is currently leading the financing of the LIV is still connected with a journalist's beheading. So I, 
Is it blood money? I think I kind of. So it, it, it is kind of I liken it to when Man City was bought and like now Man City is a great team out of nothing, um, you know, with all this money. And uh, it comes from some people that have questionable past. So I don't know if I can ever fully support it. Um, so in the end, that's a bold, bold statement about the Manchester City owners putting them on Saudi level. I mean, they're not on Saudi level. I'm just trying to find a different. A, 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 I'm gonna get canceled by. It's kind of. Fans. It's kind of like it's. I mean, it is. It does remind me of 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 the Super League because yeah, like it just feels like just like a big money grab. And I don't think like I think it is good that the like to have the PGA be challenged. That but like it's also like that's LIB doesn't give a shit about challenging the PGA. They just want to make money and they're, they've got a shit ton of money to spend and they'll probably make it. I like, I think they're probably like, it has so, somewhat surprised me with, with more players going over, but I think the players also realize like, if we get enough people, especially big time names and like current names, cause like, I feel like the PGA could probably be like, okay, we can take the hit of, of Phil Mickelson. They can't take the hit of Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeShimba of like their stars and being like, we're going to ban you. Like they just can't. So like, I think the players, which I'm always going to be, you know, pro employee, pro worker. Uh, and so like their, their right. ability to kind of like sway competing in both tours and stuff. Um, I, I think probably will be the end game. And I mean, you know, some good golf comes from it. Great. But yeah, it, it is one of those. And it's a thing too, that like kind of reminds me of, I remember I read, read an article about uh, Azerbaijan and how they had like gotten a formula one race and were like doing some more kind of like things in that, and that nature. And like, it was like a specific thing to like make their country look good and appealing and all this stuff, even though they had a pretty restrictive government and all those things. And, and so it feels like with, I mean, even like the Newcastle, purchase and all that with Saudi Arabia where it's like, nah, like, look, we look at all this fun stuff we have. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the question remains, like, now that you have players, I'm thinking specifically of like Bryson DeChamba, like, are they going to be allowed to say whatever they want? Like they are in the PGA, like how is these backers going to like, what are the restrictions that are going to be had? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, that's like a question that I think won't be breached for a little bit, but right now it's a popular choice to go over there because even if these things blow up, if this thing blows up, right? Even if the LIV people are like, people do a huge thing against it and it tanks, these players will still have made that money. So like yeah. at the end of the day, like I don't blame the players. Like if you're going to make a cash grab, you know, I get it. Like, you know, make a cash grab. Um, the only things I have against it are like, you know, people claiming the LIV is like a good solution to the monopoly problem. I understand what you're saying. Like monopolies aren't good, but like they don't care about creating competitive fairness. Like that's not what's happening. And I also don't like the players being like, I'm joining for my wealth, you know, well-being as a player. It's like you were fine. You were fine in the PGA and and like you do what you want to do for money. But but don't now say it's not for money. Like That's that's silly, guys. Come on. All these coded words you're using are just I would like more money, which, hey, I, there's nothing wrong. I'm with not going to knock you on that. And I'm not going to knock you on that at all. 
There's nothing wrong with that. If I had, if someone offered me two hundred million dollars to do a job that was sort of unsavory, you're telling me I wouldn't think about it? You tell, you like really? Like it would have to be so unsavory for me to not at least think about it. Like, right. not, not at least think about it. I'd be like, yeah. I mean, I'm set for life. That's that's yeah. hard to, you know, that's hard to. Certain amount of money. Yeah, exactly. But I, it, it's complicated for sure. And I'm, I, I'm a little worried because, you know, the PJ Tour does have all these historical events and I would hate for that to go away. Like you would hate for the Masters to become something that gets tarnished. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it will. I think that it's just going to create a competitive uh, field for now. We'll see what happens after that. I don't think anyone can predict it. And um, it's just like a wait and see situation. I think the banning is stupid. I think the PGA should try to pretend they they don't care at all. The PGA should be like, look, these guys are going over there. That's fine. We're not going to ban them. You play for us. We'll change things around to you know show you that you know we're still the better league. But banning them just like makes them. Uh, the bad guys, especially since all of the players are moving over. It's not like the Super League because the Champions League was going to ban everybody in the Super League, basically. Um, But the Super League was also unanimously hated. This is not unanimously hated. Um, So I think the PGA needs to take a chill pill a little bit because you're right. They can't afford to lose the big names that are starting to go over there. Yeah, they're going to have to revert. Because like, that's the thing. Like these, like a lot of these players are just like, I I've competed in tournaments outside of the PGA before. Like, so they just want, you know, the ability to kind of compete in whatever tournament they want to that weekend, which I, I think like that on its own is more than fair. And, and I, yeah, I think, I think the PGA eventually, like there was, there was no reason to put yourself in that kind of hard place because now you, you have to ban everyone that goes and it may like, but yeah, I, I think, I think I see a future where they both coexist. I don't know how hard, harmoniously but somewhat because like end of the day even the pga can spew out whatever bullshit they want they they only care about money too they like come on if if uefa and fifa can coexist the liv and and pga can coexist that's how i'll say it you know what i mean like if, if if those two organizations can find a middle ground even though they freaking hate each other um it'll be fine and if if at the end of the day you know, there's like a if there's more golf and golf gets a little bit of a boost in terms of like viewership and popularity, then maybe it's a good thing. Um, I I don't know. There's so much political stuff tied to this, too, that I'm like, ah, you know, it's hard for me to say good thing out loud. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. No one's it clean feels here. weird. It feels weird. Pra- yeah, it feels weird praising it like at all a little bit. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, like, like, I, I, sure. and, well, and like, and like, and UEFA and FIFA even are like, they have to, like, they kind of have to coexist more. Where like, I mean, like, if the if the Masters is is a weekend, the LIV is not gonna have a big time event that weekend. Not only because do they not like, want, do they want to make sure they'll get all their golfers there so they'd be like well why would we have another event that people have to like the golfers have to choose from? But also they want the viewers to watch their event. So like. The, the big events of the PGA are still going to be fine. And, and I mean, obviously they're worried about their just general viewership, but like they're, they're, they're going to be okay. They're, they're, their pocketbooks probably will take a little bit of a hit, but maybe they'll, like you said, maybe they'll be uh, preempted to, I guess not preempted at this point, uh, but maybe be empty, yeah, be, be emptied to make some changes and, and try to become, a better league. Uh, Jan, 
Whose win, the French Open in Paris, was more meaningful? Mr. Rafa Nadal or Iga? You know, I, I, I love Rafa Nadal so much. And, and another win, unbelievable. The problem for Rafa Nadal is, is he's done it so many times now that it's like it can't be the more impressive one because it's somehow I knew. News. Somehow I knew, even though he's half injured and everybody's playing and Federer's not there and there's this, you know, soon-to-be heir apparent playing and it doesn't matter. Um uh, so, like, really impressive that he's still able to come back. But I think we're seeing a great swan song couple years from Rafa Nadal, and I'm happy for that. But it's got to be Iga Swiatek. I mean, we we talked earlier on this podcast, uh, either earlier this year or last year, about the possibility of seeing another dynasty-like player in tennis, right? Like a Serena or a Federer or a Nadal or Djokovic. And especially in the women's game, we said we don't know if we're going to see that because there's so many different players emerging. But Swiatek is currently on a 35-game win streak with that win which is the longest since 2000 in the women's game. Uh, and she dominated for the most part, besides like one game where she was pushed to a third set. She she yeah. killed everybody um, like everyone thought she would. It was like watching a Serena, a young Serena game where everyone knew she was going to win. And then she did even more convincingly. So, um, you know, I, I do think that's more impressive because in, in a game where there's so many great women emerging and, and there's so much talent, in the pool, uh, she was still able to dominate like the pundits thought she would. So I, I think I got to go with Iga Spiatek for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and like partly, yeah, is uh, unfortunately, Rafa, you've you've done it so much that I'm I'm not uh, you you cease to impress me. It was yeah, that's what that's what Rafa does. He goes and he wins the French Open. That's that's just what happens. Um, with Iga, it does, and even like if it's not like a full tennis domination it does feel like this tournament is is going to be hers for a long long time like uh, yeah. i believe i believe it was her second straight and just like her her ability on the clay is very very impressive uh, and i think she's uh she won 2020 my bad um but second uh, of of the french open at 21 like that <laughs> she's she's going to rack up a few more of those in paris Oh, for sure. And and I think it's good for the women's game because as much as comp- competition is always good for game, it's also good to have a benchmark to try to reach because then these women, you know, they kind of have that player that they're trying to get after. And I think Iga is as good as anyone to hold that mantle now that uh, we're having some of the previous mantle holders kind of aging out of the game a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Uh, beyond another Big time event in Paris. We talked about why why weren't we in France? I, I just don't I just don't know. We missed we missed everything. Uh, but Real Madrid. Oh, thank you, Madrid. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Manchester City and Liverpool. I mean, I feel like I'm gonna be a, a Real Madrid fan. I'm gonna have a soft spot for them for the rest of my life because they they blessed me with that, Jan. I absolutely do. I Bayern and Real Madrid have so many iconic clashes, but those were all like 10 years ago. So I'm totally fine with being a Real Madrid fan from now on. I, I've, I, I've never seen a team that I've loved like this much that I don't really have any connection to from Benzema up there. Obviously the German connection in the middle with Tony Cruz. I love Luka Modric. I love Casemiro. I love Marcelo. Luka Modric I love Carlo Ancelotti. Luka Modric is one of those like athletes or just like people in like the media or whatever that I feel like is just like universally loved. 
As he should be. Like As Keanu Reeves, be. you know? Like, everyone's like, man, I like Keanu Reeves rules. Luka yeah. Modric, I think, is on that. <laughs> Maybe not on that level because most people might know Luka Modric unless you watch the soccer. But for those that know Luka, for the well-educated. A hundred percent. He has, like, if you ask me who the best midfielder in the world is, there's usually one favorite answer. And there's only one person that can that can kind of compete with that, and it's Luca. And obviously the answer I'm looking for is Kevin De Bruyne. But, um, you know, the fact that Luka Modric, as his age, is still as good as he is, as consistent as he is, uh, it is ridiculous. And, and that's what makes Real Madrid so dangerous, is that midfield pairing between Cruz and, and, and Modric. And the two of them have played so well over the last... <laughs> You know, however, so many years, dude, and and then Casemiro just cleaning it all up. Like those cleaning two are like, it all like, hey, we'll be, we'll be, we'll play the beautiful game over here, and you just you take care of shit. He's like, I got it, right? And it's kind of a departure from what most teams are doing. Like, how many teams can say they have a strong midfield? I don't know of the top teams. Like, they always have a strong strike force. That's like what they go after. Liverpool's and and Man City has Kevin De Bruyne. But besides that, most of their midfielders are wingers. Like, they're not true midfielders. It's what I always said about Bayern letting Thiago go and getting all of these other attackers. It's like you're giving up, like, a very underrated part of the field. And um, A third third of the field. A third of the field. And... um, yeah, I, I just I love this team. So happy for them. You, you I, I, I just knew it was going to happen. I don't know how, but I just like knew it was like this. This journey has been too great. And Carlo Ancelotti is too is too much of a king to like go down here. You just knew yeah. it. It did feel like before the match, it was like like it, they had come too far and done too much. It was like they're going to they're going to get it done. Like they're going to figure it out against Liverpool. And it felt too like so much that like all the pressure, like even though it was real, even though all they care about is winning champions, like, like it felt like all the pressure was on Liverpool. Um, yeah. And, and, and like we all <laughs> took that and, and perhaps Liverpool should have scored, but I, I it's, <laughs> we, we said that about like every matchup that, that we all had throughout this champions league. Uh, you know, so, but a solid, solid win for real and, and, Jan, they, we talked a lot about Benzema this year, and of course he, he was the savior so many times throughout this run, but I, I feel like the, the real surprise, um, and, and maybe surprise is the best word, but surprise of just of his emergence was was Vinicius Jr. He, we knew, I mean, like, they, they purchased, they bought him for a reason, there, there was a lot of hope for what this guy could, could become, but it felt like it was such a, like a snap of the fingers, and he became a, a world-class player gets the goal in the final to win. What does this form mean for, for a country as good as Brazil to have a guy who who's going to, and and maybe it won't play into it because the world cup is at a different time than, uh, than, than normal. Uh, but, but let's say Vinicius Jr. Is, is still playing the way that we saw him play for real this year, having a player in, in that sort of form for a country as talented as Brazil. What, what does that do for, for like their chances in the world cup? It makes them favorites. That's what it does. It makes them favorites for the World Cup. Because here's the thing. Brazil doesn't need Vinicius Jr. to be a stud. They don't need him to be a stud to be a contender. So if he is a stud, forget it. You have an X factor unlike anyone else. Him and Between him and Luis Diaz, if those two go to the World Cup and play like they've been playing for Real Madrid and Liverpool respectively, I don't see another team having a chance. Because they just have so much skill 
and talent in that team. Between Allison and Goal, who is playing like a world's be- number one best, between Neymar, obviously still there, between Gabriel Jesus, between Casemiro, between Vinicius Jr., Luis Diaz, all these players in the top of their form, you know, I, I see it, I see them as favorites, honestly, with these two players especially emerging. But since we're talking about Vinicius Jr. especially, I mean, you're thinking about Vinicius Jr. opening up the field for Benzema. What do you think he's going to do for Neymar in those games? Yeah. You know, like, it's going to be the same situation. And no offense to Benzema, but Neymar can even move more than him. So, like, it, it makes it even worse. So, like, I, I, I think Kareem would admit, would admit that. Yeah, I think Kareem would, would, you know, would not hate on me for that comment. Um, Brazil has so many great players, and they're already a favorite for this World Cup. And if Vinicius Jr. can bring what he brought at the end of the Champions League, they have an X factor that that they can hang their hat on. And, you know, I really am starting to see this Brazil squad, and I'm like, I think semifinals, finals are bust, truthfully. Like, I, I don't think that they they should aim any lower than that, nor would they, but, but you know... In, in a pretty open field, they look like a very easy team to call favorites besides maybe a France, but they've been doing so poor in the Nations League. But again, how do you view the Nations League right now? Um, right. And in Argentina. Um, and so I, I think they're right up there with those teams. Uh, and Vinicius Jr. is a big reason why I think, you know, they might be getting their next World Cup since 2002. Well, and, uh, I mean, kind of uh, to your point, too, like that 2002 team, obviously insanely talented, but had, you know, you had an insanely talented Brazil team and then Ronaldo playing, you know, incredibly, um, which like it, at that point, it, what, what can he do? Not, not a whole lot. Right. Exactly. And, and also on that team in 2002, right, you had Rivaldo and you had Cafu and you had all these players from the 98 World Cup that, you know, were on a vengeance streak. And then you also had a young player by the name of Ronaldinho, who right before the tournament went the hell off. And then it was like, oh, now we have this really established World Cup finals team and Ronaldinho. Like that's, you know, I'm not saying Vinicius Jr. is Ronaldinho, but I'm saying that X factor is often what wins World Cups. It just is. Right. And so um, I, I think that it's, if you're a Brazil fan, should be looking good. Obviously, no one knows what to expect with the later start. No one does. So I think that it's it's a weird thing for any team. Um, but, you know, I, I think that Vinicius Jr.'s emergence is should scare anyone. It should scare everyone. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, it's funny too. Like if you're a Brazil fan, I think you guys can expect to win the World Cup, uh, as as if Brazil fans don't do that every single World Cup. Right. It, it <laughs> felt like it felt like last World Cup there was a little more uh, tentativeness, just because the Realistic last time they, expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Just because the last time they had so many hopes, they got you know embarrassed in a game they'll never forgotten for history. I wonder at, who did who did they play home. at home, no less. Who did they play again? I think they played. Uh, who do they? Deutschland. Ah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the Germans. The Germans. Oh man. Hi, right, um, let's pivot. <laughs> that's a basketball term. Back to the NBA Finals. Uh, Damn. I was <laughs> gonna, I was gonna bring up this comparison earlier, and then I remember that I had asked you a question about it. So, two players who I think are very, very similar: Draymond Green, Marcus Smart. If both of them could shoot effectively, they'd be like all NBA top 10 players. They can't, but they do everything else insanely, insanely well. Who do you think is more important to their team? Draymond or Marcus? I think Marcus. Um, I think that the Celtics defensive strategy is so based on all players keeping up with their man, which, which requires a little bit of a setting the tempo situation, right? 
And when Marcus Smart has been able to set the tempo for the Celtics, it's been really hard to get the Celtics out of that tempo. And when he hasn't been, it, it's been really easy to get past the Celtics defense in comparison. Um, Draymond, on the other hand, we've seen him have horrible games and the, their team still play fine. I'm not saying Draymond's not important. Obviously, he handles the ball more than Marcus Smart does. Um, so there's definitely that to give him. Um, but I just think, especially in terms of this finals matchup, uh, Marcus Smart is more important in the Celtics playing the kind of game they want to play than Draymond in, in, is in the Warriors need to play their kind of game. We've heard so much shit talked about Draymond this finals, and they're still 3-2 up. You know, Marcus Smart kind of has disappeared this finals. Not disappeared, that's maybe a harsh word. But he hasn't been as effective as a defensive player of the year might be, in, you know, in, in comparison. And, and I think that's why they're down. Um, so I, I'm going to say Marcus Smart for that reason. Yeah, well, maybe I'll uh, maybe just devil's advocate, but uh, I will argue Draymond. And, and I think, I mean, I think a lot of the, the slander to Draymond is people who don't understand Draymond's role in, in the, the Warriors team. And, and I think like one of the things I would argue for Draymond is Draymond can have literally zeros on the stat line and still have a huge impact on the game because he's basically the point guard of the offense. And really he's like the point guard of the defense as well. And I think it, it matters that his ability to direct everybody, make sure everybody's in the position they need to be in, especially for a, a, an offense that has a lot of motion. It's even more important because they got a lot of young guys, a lot of guys who are, newer to that, that golden state uh, philosophy and stuff like it's, it's not the same team that played in 2018. So his, I think his ability to impact a game without having a big stat line is, is a pretty rare quality. Um, but they're both, I mean, I, I, I agree. Like they're, they're both so vital to just to how both teams operate. Like they're, they're kind of like they create, I think both of them really create the mentality of both teams right and i think you know bringing up that point i'm gonna play devil advocate against myself here too because i think marcus smart needs to have like three threes plus what he's doing to be considered having a good game and effective for the celtics because that's what he brings to the team i agree that i think draymond can do a little bit of the intangibles and still like be a really great leader so i, I do see your point um and yeah it's it's I think also a big thing in this in this final series is all the slander he's gotten. Draymond hasn't taken it any kind of poorly, like and and he could have, you know. Yeah. So um, I think that that's also a big you know big benefit for the Warriors to have someone who can take on all that hate and and still lead the team at the end of the day. Well, I feel like the 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 Raptors series, like because he used to be, I feel like he used to be a at least a somewhat consistent spot up shooter in, in that offense. And then, like, it, it's, it's, he's gotten worse somehow. And the Raptors series, I remember, like, very vividly. And I felt like it did. Like, you could see every missed shot, like, kind of his whole body, like, would feel the dejection. And, and, it, and it did affect his game, I, I felt like. Where this time, it he's, he's not, let, like, he's – he even, you know, had room to, to mature uh, as a player. And, and I think he has because it, like – he was he missed a couple of layups in game three, but was still doing all the other stuff that that he brings to the game, and uh, you know, make make kept the Warriors in it because of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think uh, if Marcus Smart was getting the same hate, what what reaction would we see right now? I you know I I don't know. So uh, it's a good question to ask. 
Yeah. And like, I can sometimes I think Marcus, sometimes he does let the, the, the misses affect the, the other elements of his game. And, and you can't, when you're a guy like both these players who, who do so much for, for their teams, Jan, who has been, this is going to be the weirdest ass question of all time. Who's been the non MVP MVP of this finals? Uh, a player who's done kind of the little things, won't get the love, but I've had a major impact. I mean, this probably is a stretch, but I feel like the, the love kind of I gave Andrew Wiggins earlier would be my non MVP MVP because I like, I, I think he had a career high in rebounds um, and, and then had another 24, like 15 rebound game. Uh, a guy who's not going to be winning the MVP for the Warriors. Like if the Warriors win, we know exactly who's going to be winning the MVP. Uh, Andrew Wiggins could go and score 101 points tonight, probably. And like, okay, that might, that might get him. <laughs> that might get him the MVP. That, First that, 100 point that final the, game. That's yeah. That's, uh, yeah. If you break can score down, 100 points tonight. tonight. <laughs> yeah. 101. It has, you have to break Wilt's 100 record uh, for just the highest scoring game ever. Uh, then, then Andrew Wiggins might steal it from staff. Uh, but yeah, I, Wiggins would be my in not MVP, MVP. Right. Yeah. I Wiggins was someone who crossed my mind. I, I just feel like he was too obvious. So I try to go with someone else. It is, uh, it is obvious. Yeah. But like, I get that. That was, that was my pick originally. I really, and after that, I really had to stretch because I was like, Oh man, who, who else? Uh, and so I'm going to go with Derek white for the Celtics. He's uh, he's gone double digits on a couple occasions in this final series in games where I feel like without his points, they would have been a lot like tied. And, uh, you know, he plays great defense when in rotation, and he's really a good extra boost when things have fallen apart for the Celtics starters. Um, So I think if the Celtics get back in the series tonight, I think it'll be because Derek White also has a good game off the bench. Um, And, you know, he's not going to win the MVP in a million years, but he's been a great pickup and a great addition to this team and been really important in those bench bench minutes. He's been a huge, huge... uh, Like, I think teams... And I think we've talked about this a little bit before. It, it seems like the NBA is, is is following the MLB a little bit more of like of, of making deadline deals of, of like, hey, we just need one player, and that's gonna complete our team just a little bit more and make us more of a champion. Like because like the Derek White deal, I think on the surface you could have been like, oh yeah, he's a nice piece. He he's been killing it. Uh, and, and yeah, I agree. If he can if he can shoot just even a, a little like he has, you know, shown in this series, it, it, it makes the spacing for the Celtics that much more dangerous. And, and the Warriors really kind of get lost out there on, on who to defend. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, the Celtics starters have been inconsistent enough where, you know, when they're on, they're on and they get these 25 point leads and it's really hard to come back against them. But when they're off, it, it really, there, it, it gets bad. So you do need players like him, like Peyton Pritchard, like Grant Williams, and Grant Williams hasn't shown up in this final series. So it, it's it, Derek White's been really important, especially this series, to make up for that absence. Yeah, he really had, and like, and not even like not showing up in the sense of like, because I mean, he was incredible in the Heat, and like, didn't need him to replicate that performance probably. But he, but he hasn't even been kind of the the normal Grant Williams, and and he's a guy who also you know does so many of the little things so well. So when his confidence is shaken and stuff. It, it impacts the game a lot. Jan, for your Celtics to, to win the next two games, to win it all, who do you think 
on the team. I, I mean, I was thinking Tatum or Brown, but you may have have another person in mind. Who do you think on the team needs to like step up, be Finals MVP? Like, who who do you think needs to lead this this team? I want to give an honorable mention to Al Horford because if he had like two 30 point games again and won Finals MVP and then retired, I'd be real happy for him. I'd be real Al happy. Al Horford for him. would be a wonderful Finals MVP. I'd be, I'd be really, uh, I'd really, really be stoked. But I did go between Brown and Tatum just because I think it does have to be one of those two guys if they're going to win the win the finals. Um, it's almost less about like it, someone else not being able to be Finals MVP. Where if it's not one of them playing that level, then it's that's worrisome for the Celtics. Right, hundred percent. And I'm going to say Jalen Brown, and here's why: if something hasn't been made clear to you in these playoffs. And I don't care that he had a couple good games. Jason Tatum's not a superstar yet. Just, just, he's not a superstar yet. Maybe he'll get there, he's so young. But I heard a really interesting question the other day on on the Skip and Shannon show and, and Undisputed. And let me tell you, I don't listen to that show for shit. I really, really don't. I, was say, I think this is our first Undisputed reference. It is. But there was a question that Skip Bayless had an answer to that I was like, he's not wrong. And that alone tells me that J- Jason Tatum's not a superstar. Where Shannon asked him, you know, you know, is, is it clear that Lonzo Ball being picked after, uh, being picked, you know, after Jason Tatum was a mistake? You know, or like who should have been picked first, and um, and I, you're, I don't, you're agreeing with Skip. No, Skip says Skip says it's not clear yet, and I yeah. think I think it's not clear yet. I don't think it's clear. Really, yet. I think Lonzo Ball could have a, a, a resurgence, and if Jason Tatum doesn't get any better, then I think that Lonzo Ball could pass him. He does have talent, and and you know. If he stays healthy and is in the, he was shooting really great for the Bulls. I'm not saying that Lonzo Ball is anywhere close right now, but Jason Tatum has shown a very, a very visible ceiling, and he cannot take over games like Kobe Bryant, who he loves to say that he emulates. He's done it once or twice, and it's been great. And he scores those 28 points consistently, and of course he's the top scorer, and he is the best player for the Celtics, but he is not a superstar that can take over the game. So what he needs is Jalen Brown to be the MVP. He needs Jalen Brown to be the MVP to give him the space to pour in the points that he needs to and win the game for the Celtics. Jalen Brown needs to go out there, average 30 plus in these next two games, and then the Celtics can win because Jalen Brown will add the extra 26, 27, and that will be enough. But I think if you're just relying on Jalen, Jason Tatum being the MVP, I just think we've shown that he hasn't been able to do that consistently. You know, I don't think he can do that two straight games against the Warriors. I just don't think he can. I think it's something he might be able to do soon, but I I just think I've seen enough of it where I'm like, he had that great game against the Heat and he had that great game against the Bucks, but a consistent superstar plays like that every other night. And, And he's played like that every four games and it's just not enough. And I think Jalen Brown has an extra gear in him that he's been holding back because Jason Tatum is the star. And Jalen Brown needs to view himself as as A2. And if Jalen Brown can go out there and be A2 and score 30 plus and be the finals MVP, you know, that's how Boston wins. Because Jason Tatum's gonna score 28 no matter what happens. Even if he shoots nine for 28, like he's gonna he's gonna pour in he's 28 points. Yeah. yeah. So he doesn't need to be finals MVP, but Jalen Brown needs to almost outscore him or at least pace him in order for the Celtics team to win. So I'm going to pick Jason, uh, uh, Jalen Brown. 
you know, I just think it'll also give Tatum a little more space to make good decisions, which is my biggest concern for him is, do you know how to make those good decisions? Do you know how to make those good decisions? I don't think he does yet. He, he, and I mean, it's kind of, it's not just his fault. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost an entire Celtics problem, but I feel like he really falls victim of it, especially late in games of falling in love with the three point shot. It's so bad. It's and, so and, bad. And that's ball. when, and that's when he like really starts crumbling. And then, and, and I think, and you're right. Like I, I, uh, I think this series, like watching Steph, even though Steph had like just had kind of a, a, a bad game in Steph's version, like, you're seeing someone who is like all time superstar great and like Tatum's good, but like, it's, it's clear that like, he's not on that level. Um, and, and I think there's a, it still could be, as you said, like he's a young guy. And I think again, like, I think a lot of it is just sometimes poor decision-making. Like he, he needs to be more aggressive. I, I know that the league has changed a lot, but like Kobe Bryant didn't shoot a lot of threes. He, he shot much more effective shots. Uh, and, and I think Tatum needs to take, take a note from, from his, uh, his idol and, and work for some shots. Cause he's a, he's like, he's kind of like looks a little scrawny, but he's a strong guy and he's a bit like six, eight, he can take it down low uh, and, and certainly attack the basket and, and has a good mid range game. Um, but, but he falls in love with those threes and, and it, it hurts the game. And, and I think too, like to your point of like, he's going to get 28 points. Jason Tatum is a scorer. Like Jason Tatum's impact on the game is scoring the basketball. You need those guys, but like sometimes there is an issue of like that. That's just what they're going to do. Like Jalen Brown is a well-rounded basketball player. Like Jalen Brown can go and put up 30, but he's also going to rebound really well. He's going to, Tatum's a good defender, but I'd say Brown's a better defender. Brown's a a terrific passer. So his ability, like I, I agree with you because his ability to impact the game on so many more level, like, yeah, if Tatum's a Finals MVP, it's because he's scoring a lot. If Jalen Brown's Finals MVP, it's because he's he's probably doing all, rebounding, passing, and, and scoring, uh, which I think will will go a long way, and and then also make, like I said, the game easier on Tatum to to get that twenty eight in in a little more of an effective manner. Right. <clears throat> exactly. I think that um, I think that you, what you said it was correct for sure. I agree with you that, that that he's a little bigger and and a little can be a little more dominant in the mid-range game than people think he is. But also, like, you look at other players that he's compared to right now in the modern game of young superstars that you might want to be able to team around, like a Giannis, like a Luka. He's not like those guys in that he can just rely on his pure physicality to to get him those 40-point games. He has to learn how to be smart. He has to. His game will not work that way, that dominantly, if he does not learn to be smart. Um, And unfortunately... Not unfortunately, because I'm happy that Jalen Brown is what I'm about to say, but I think Jalen Brown is the smarter player of the two. So I think that he just used when he's scoring his 30 point games, it's because he's taking advantage of mismatches and laying it up. And when you see Jason Tatum, it's because he gets hot from mid and from long. And and that's great. But until he learns so you're right, not fall in love with that three ball, because I mean, maybe controversial opinion, but I think that the Celtics have lost five or six games in this playoffs because Tatum decided to to choke away leads. And I and 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 I just don't think that people are talking about that enough. Um, And I don't blame. Obviously, we wouldn't have won some of those series without him playing as well as he did. But you're right. If Jason Tatum ever went out there and didn't score 28, the Celtics probably got blown out. So like. 
like you have to <laughs> that's like a given kind of you know it's like yeah. if Steph doesn't score 20 <coughs> points they probably didn't win um but uh you know yeah I think that my answer is Jalen Brown just because I think that's going to be better for the Celtics team if we see them you know win the next two yeah I I, I completely agree uh yeah, we've talked about legacy for Steph, about, you know, what, what this could do for him, kind of really solidify him in, in a top 10 conversation. Uh, I think adding that finals MVP will will be just, you know, that kind of that last check mark on, on the list of things to do. But we haven't talked a lot about the legacy for these coaches. you got Steve Kerr, who... I think like we fall in love. I mean, it's a player's league and, and certainly the Warriors would not be where they are without Steph and Draymond and, and Kevin Durant. But Steve Kerr has also maximized the hell out of that talent. Uh, and then we've seen Ime Udoka do the same thing for the Celtics in his first year there. Uh, he's, you know, made them the iteration of the Celtics that we always like, okay, can they do it? Can they get to the finals? Uh, he's made them into, you know, one of the, I think one of the best defensive teams I've ever seen. Uh, what do you think is like the legacy for these guys? I, I stir obviously two very different career, probably like uh, chapters. We'll say uh, email just kind of starting out where while Steve's is more of a where does he go in the all time conversation? Uh, but but what do you think that legacy for email is like? Especially I think for him, like doing it at a franchise uh, like the Boston Celtics that is as historic as it gets in the NBA. Yeah, I don't know how much this affects either of their legacy. And here's why. Uh, Steve Kerr, who doesn't view Steve Kerr as an all-time coach right now? Like with the, with this Warriors team, I think that the people who know basketball do. And of course, would this put another notch in his belt and maybe move him up the list of all-time coaches? Yes, it would. But, you know, because he's already had so much success and because all of his success will be tied to Steph, even if he wins five more championships, I don't know how much it changes the arrow. I don't know how you look at the series and it's like, that's a serious point at Steve Kerr, why he's not just the Steph era. You know, I, I think that his his legacy is kind of still going to be mostly set uh, after this. However, and, and Ime Udoka, let's say he goes and wins this and he does nothing after that. You know, it, 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 there's so much of his career to go. You know, it's it's so hard to like, you know, to look at this and be like, this is going to change his legacy forever. It will change his legacy in that he's won a finals. Sure, he'll be a finals winning coach. Like, of course, that changes the legacy. But but like he could go out here and, and be fired next year because the Celtics are nowhere in the Eastern Conference. And and then what do you say? So I don't know if either of this if this is a legacy game for either of these coaches. I think it's probably more important for Ime Odoka um, in terms of the reputation he can have in a city like Boston if he was to win against the Warriors, that man's going to coach for the next six years if he wants to, like with no matter what happens. So I'll say that in terms of uh, in terms of this conversation. But yeah, I just think both player, both managers, because one's at the, you know, peak of his career and the other one's at the start. I don't know how much it changes legacy uh, in terms of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think your your point to Udoka is certainly very true. Like, you can be like, well, you know, what do you... Like, I remember when Spolstra... And Spolstra's was, I would say, a, a much different situation. Like, Ime's, I think he's really helped create this Boston team. I think Spolstra 
it was a good coach, but I think he was really like learning on the job and, and learned a lot with that heat team, but then took that knowledge and, and has been a terrific head coach. Um, but we've also seen head coaches kind of flare out and, uh, and sometimes it just matters on, you know, the talent of your team. I think it does like have a little bit to do with Kerr because I, I don't think he's talked about at really as one of the all time great head coaches. And I think sometimes it is because people think, Oh, Steph and Durant, but it's like, you know, Phil Jackson, who has 11, well, he, he had Michael Jordan and then Kobe and Shaq, Red Auerbach, Bill Russell, Bob Cousy, John Havlicek, Pat Riley, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The, his one, the Heat team that he won with like D-Wade and Shaq would be, maybe be like the one team where like not super, super team because D-Wade was so young. Uh, and then even like Pop with, with Tim Duncan. So I, I think to be a, a great head coach, you also do have to have a great player because that's just the, the game of basketball. But I think like all those, all those guys I listed uh, and then John Kundla, who I've had never heard of John Kundla, uh, five-time NBA champion. He won uh, with the Minneapolis Lakers back when their, their name actually made sense. 49, 50, 52, 53, 54. He dominated the league and then got the hell out. But all those guys, there's only five coaches that have uh, five wins. Kerr's actually like the sixth coach with even just three. Um, so I, I do think it, 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 and because this is a bit of a, a different, inter, like, yes, it, it, it relies on Steph, but the talent around Steph, even Clay and Draymond are different players than they were. So I, I think it also, you know, legitimizes his ability to really manipulate a team in a positive way. Um, but I'd like both these guys are, Ime Udoka is gonna have a long, long career. If, if the Boston Celtics fire Ime Udoka next year, I think twenty-five NBA teams would be ringing his his uh, his line. And, and Steve Kerr, I hope coaches forever until you know he runs for president. Oh, love that! Yeah, I I, I agree with that statement right there. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, and you know, there is something to be said not about Steph. And not about, I would say, Draymond or Clay because they are who they are already. But there is something to be said about the work that Steve Kerr has done to develop some of these guys, Gary Payton II but, uh, but, uh, and Kuminga, but also Jordan Poole. And more importantly, I think Andrew Wiggins. I yeah. think he's done a great job with Andrew Wiggins, turning him around, changing him from this number one offensive star to, you, you know what, take his back seat. Do the defensive work, and now look yeah. how it's reaped a lot of benefits. This so is I the think, role. This is the role we're going to ask of you, right? And I think that has been, I think that has been effective. So, God, two conversations we've had today that we've differed, and I've, I'm like leaning towards your side at the end of at the end of both. What does that say well, about my a pro? A pro Steve Kerr uh, argument is an easy argument to go because you're because you, then you start thinking about it, you're just like, well, Steve Kerr just. Freaking rules, so hell yeah. God, I can never go against Steve Kerr. I don't know yeah, what I don't think If you're against Steve, that's like even when I hated the Warriors, I was like, like when they were so, so good, I was like, well, at least you got Steve Kerr, who Steve Kerr also like has like mad NBA championship rings. I think he, I can't remember, I think he's got like three as a player. I know he's got one as, as a assistant, one as a head coach, or he was a head coach, obviously. Uh, that is. <sighs> Pat Riley's the same way. I think Pat Riley has one as a player, one as an assistant coach, five as a head coach, and then like three as an executive. That is the most baller. Like, yeah, I got it done in every. I was a goddamn janitor the year we won the title. I, 
<laughs> Every job, tickets. we won the title while I was doing it. Oh my god, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, oh, I agree. You can't, you can't hate Steve Kerr, and uh, and you know now that I'm thinking about it, through his coaching career, how many times have uh, have the players that um, how many times have the players that have been uh, you know talked about like Steph and Durant and Draymond and Clay been complimented by players that. You know, like a Harrison Barnes, like a Sean Livingston, like an Andre Iguodala. Like, yeah, of course, these players do it on their own. But there's also something to be said about these teams always having great, great role players. And that is is often to coaching, often thanks to coaching. Um, right. That's a hard yeah, thing to do. Because knowing, knowing like where where the pieces all need to go. Like, and I think that's a lot of because like, yeah, the NBA coaches are going to be like screaming and yeah like it's these guys are like dude i'm the best basketball player in the world i know this game inside now like i don't need you so it is i think it's more of a you know like a conversation and and more of a how do i totally blend these personalities and these playing styles not so much like the hey you listen to my command right and i think both of these coaches are good at that i think both of them have a good understanding of of dealing with stars, dealing with role players, dealing with young guys, um, and which is why they're both in the finals. So that's that. The proof is in the pudding. All right, Jan, one quick little hit on the Stanley Cup finals. The Tampa Bay Lightning are back. Their third straight Stanley Cup. Uh, it's it's a, an impressive run. We haven't seen a team win three uh, straight Stanley Cups since the Islanders did it in the early 80s. They won four straight. They did lose game one. Last night, the Avalanche, the team we were talking about, the Ega of our NHL discussion, the team that's the been Ega. the best team throughout the, the season. And, and like the Eastern Conference, I felt like we both, like each time we talked about it, we're like, ah, now I'm going with this team. Now I'm going with this team. I think every single time we talked Western Conference, we're like, yeah, I'm still going with the Avalanche. Like they, they're going to do it. They have. They're up 1 uh, 0. It, it should be a great series. I, I'm, I'm pulling for the Avs, uh, although it would be a very impressive win for the lightning if the lightning get this win do do we have to at least maybe in the modern sense recognize them as one of the, the great american dynasties because too you have to to remember they, they lost in the first round three years ago yeah it would be three years ago after they had the best record so like best record in the nhl sadly do get knocked out of the playoffs but then next year win the stanley cup next year win the stanley cup and could do it again and winning the stanley cup in three very different scenarios. Uh, this is like the first full NHL season, like normal season that they're going to win it with, which I think is like a very validating thing too, if, if they can get it done. But, but do you think you have to like acknowledge them as like, dang, that's it, it, certainly in the hockey world, like one of the, the modern dynasties. Yeah. I think because of the cap limit that NHL has, I think that is one of the harder leagues to co- to compete in and, and repeat in. Um, and you know, anytime a team wins three times in a row, you have to look at that team as like, as, as a start of a dynasty, if not a dynasty. Um, but yeah, I think, I think yes, because of how good this avalanche team is. Like if they win as the worst team, as like the clear worst team, it reminds me of kind of like the Patriots who, they were not always the best team when they went out and played, but they still somehow won. And that happens in dynasties too. Um, and you think back to it, I mean, the first, they're the first team in 36 years to actually earn three back to back, to back, I guess, final appearances. And the last time was 
was Wayne Gretzky and the Oilers in the 80s. Um, so you can compare those two. I do think, however, they need this win to be anywhere close to a dynasty. I don't think it's a conversation if they aren't. Um, even making the final three times because you think about you said modern and that's kind of like what I'm looking at too because there's hockey has changed so much that it's hard to like look at all the dynasties and be like are they a top dynasty they're not even if they win this um, there were six teams for like decades so is they like all six of them were a dynasty <laughs> right exactly exactly um, but you know I I still look at the Blackhawks from earlier in this century and the Penguins from like 2010 to 2015. Um, They didn't win all of those in a row necessarily, but those two dynasties for me are still a slight edge above the Lightning. Um, So I think with this third win, they can kind of be considered the best of those three, but they need the win. And I think this this would definitely kind of cap it off with a win against, because in the other two, they beat teams that they were better than. Like, that's just what happened. They beat teams that they were better in. This would be the first finals that they win, that they beat a team that is better than them, for sure. Has been all year and and continues to be in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I think, too, there's there's uh, there's something to be said about just, like, the the validation that, like, a dynasty gets with the 3P. Like, you, like if you get a 3P, it's like, shit. Like, they, yeah, they... They dominated because even like the Spurs, I like, I think of the Spurs as, as a dynasty because of, of that longevity from, from 99 to 2015 winning five titles. Like I, I it's, it's in a different sense, but like to me, they were a dynasty, but I don't like, I don't think the general public really does. And, and they certainly don't, even if people do, they don't get like the praise that that Lakers three peat from 2000 to 2002 gets like they, there's something about like, that consistent uh, winning uh, in a row that like, is like, even if you win like four titles in seven years, but it's never back to back. Like, Oh yeah, they're a dynasty, but it doesn't feel as validated or or something. As dynastic. Yeah, it doesn't. No, I I agree with you. There is something about that. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm also rooting for the avalanche because they have just been so good for so many years and now everything's clicking for them. So I'm rooting for them, but you know, it it would be something if the lightning came back, it would be definitely like a good moment, not a good moment, but like an impressive moment in sports history for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think what's, what is the last three P at least in the four major leagues, it might was it the lay was it the Lakers? Might have been the Lakers. I don't. Think been, it there hasn't been a hasn't been an NFL one. We've already talked to the NHL. There hasn't been one since the eighties. There has there has not been one in baseball. I don't think I'm not I'm, I'm not unless you look super far back. I don't think no. So yeah, the most recent three P, the Lake Show. Sorry, MLS, WNBA. We're just talking. You know. Yeah, Seattle Sounders. How about Sorry, that? champion, <laughs> Champions League. Yeah, so that Real, that Real Madrid run, that was uh, that was an impressive one. Yeah, back it was when, back when they back when they felt like Real Madrid, not some weird spunky underdog. Yeah, they became Atletico Madrid and somehow still won. <laughs> that is the weirdest. How like how how is Real Madrid the team I have a soft spot for? All right, yeah, it's time. Your quick fire questions. Yeah, let's do it. They're all, they're all basketball. All basketball related. The first one. Who would you, who would Yannick take? Not who is gonna go, not who's the team gonna take. 
Can't remember, the magic. I was going to remember who had the topic. Who would you take with the number one pick? Keegan Murray. That's who I would take That's with the number sick. one pick. Here's the thing. Chad Holmgren has more to prove. Jabari Smith has more to prove. Paolo Banchero has more to prove. And all three of them have a higher ceiling than Keegan Murray, for sure. But Keegan Murray has nothing else to prove. He is a two-way player. He is ready to be on that court. He, he doesn't have a ceiling. He, for me, Perfect. he is he's the one of the four that isn't potential, but is but is there already. You know? He has a lower ceiling for sure, but he's there already. And also, you said me. So if it's me, I'm picking exactly. Keegan. Yeah. Dude, if I was if I was in an NBA owner, I'd be like, yeah, we're taking the guy from Iowa. Like, yeah. Well, there's 100%. better prospects. And I'm like, I, don't I don't care. care. I don't I'm, care. I'm the billionaire owner. We're taking the guy from Iowa. And then you know what? Trade for Luca Garza. Trade all art. We're just going to only get Iowa players. I we're, love not, we're not going to be a very good team. <laughs> we're not going to be very good, but damn it if I'm not going to feel like the best Iowan in the world. <laughs> I'll only do that for about a, a year or two. Um, and then I'll <laughs> we'll, we'll get over that that shtick, uh, man. I'd love to see him go number one. I'm I'm interested. Like I feel like there's a, a chance that that top three feels so secure, but I don't know why. But I feel like there's 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 something in me that feels like Keegan or, or Jaden Ivy. I feel like it'd probably be one of those two could could break up that those top three picks. Um, there's a lot of talk about the the Knicks trading or not the Knicks. Well, the Knicks are one of the teams. Wanting to trade with the the Kings for the the fourth pick, which uh, dude, if 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 the Knicks traded up to the fourth pick and took Keegan Murray, I'd I'd go crazy. We'd we'd go to games, that's for sure. No matter no matter where he goes, like probably the night of, while we're at the draft watching it, Yannick, I'm gonna get a Keegan Murray jersey like that, without right, a question. Right there and there. Yeah. As they're stitching it together. I'm going to get the first one. I'm like, hey, we... Oh, no. He won't be able to sign it. What a shame. All right, next question, Young. Which of these teams, Boston or the Warriors, returns to the finals first? Ugh. The Warriors, because the Eastern Conference is so freaking good. It's so hard. I, I, They barely got past the teams this year, and both teams were, were you know... Not both teams. The Heat... Were, were who they are but like the bucks were missing chris middleton you know and and uh the nets were were also you know kind of in flux with not having ben simmons out of that trade so there's going to be so many good teams in the east good luck picking who's going to get through um and the warriors you know while the west has good players i'm not saying they don't um there's a lot of teams that are that need to figure out what's going on as well so i'm going to go with the warriors getting back there again which i hate saying <laughs> Yeah, no, but I think it's it's a good it's a good point though. Like just the, the the task of each conference feels the eastern one feels much much more daunting. All right, last one. It's gonna it's gonna basically show who you're picking to win these finals. Who is gonna be the finals MVP? Oh, uh, why would you ask me this before Game Six? You're so mean. Uh, Dude, it's, it's a hot seat. It's quick fire questions. It's not. I know. I have to choose between my fandom and it's my like Girl Scout camp. And my, uh, you know that reference? No. Holes. Holes. Aw. Mr. Sir. What a great, what a great uh, movie. 
Um, great book. Great everything. I didn't know that it was a quote, and I was like, why are you coming for Girl Scouts that hard yeah, right now? I know. <laughs> I, that's why I was like, I want to explain the quote for everyone that doesn't like because – I got a lot of love for the Girl Scouts, but Mr. Sir likes to use them as a, a negative thing. Mr. Yeah. Sir's, uh, I mean, he's a dick, so. Yeah. Um, you know what? Screw it. I have to go with my fandom. It's the finals, baby. <laughs> Jason Tatum is winning MVP. He's going to f- ignore everything I said about Jalen Brown need to be MVP. He's scoring 43 tonight. He's going 35 on finals. If that actually happens... I'm going to bookmark this if he scores those two. Let me tell you, I need to win um, some money off of that. I think um, that'd be a, a fair uh, fair thing to happen. Yeah, so he's going to hear me on this podcast, which isn't even going to be out by the time you know he plays in 15 minutes. Uh, and he's going to be like, you know, screw you, Yannick. Don't believe in me. He's going to go Kobe out there. So I'm going Jason Tatum. If I had to be more realistic, it's Steph Curry, and I don't think it's close. But... I don't have to be realistic. It's my team. <laughs> Dude, I should not have opened up DraftKings. I don't know why, but the uh, the quick fire questions made me think of viewers were like, man, I got to go for my home team. Like, I wonder what the bets look like. There are some insane same day parlays, including uh, Mamba mentality. <laughs> Celtics win. Tatum 30 plus points. Four plus threes. One plus steal. Plus oh, 400. Not I'm bad. Put money on that right now. Dude, this one's absurd. It's plus 850, so you make a lot of money. Plus 25 for Tatum and Curry. Plus 20 for Brown and Clay. Plus 14 for Smart and Wiggins. That's not going to happen. I'm yeah, sorry. No, that's, that's way they, too much scoring. What, what about the series has made you be like, oh, yeah, it's going to be 130 to 120? <laughs> yeah. Not unless, unless, both teams unless those just, like, six are the only ones that score. Right. Oh, man. I can't put money down this game. I'll regret it afterwards. Oh God. Yeah. Dude, you can never bet on your teams. It's like, it's cause honestly I, I had to stop betting because it makes sports not fun. Like I'm like, it's a casual game and now it's stressing me the hell out. But when it's your team, especially in a, you know, championship situation, you're already stressed as all shit. So yeah. Adding, the is sweating currently. <laughs> it is sweating currently. That's fair. That's that. That's that game six. <laughs> Close out possibility, butt sweat. We all get it. So game six, close out possibility, butt sweat is the name of this episode. That's what it's going to be. So when you listen to this and you're like, what the hell does that even mean? You have to wait until all the way at the end to get the reference. I'm like, oh, okay. Ah. And then they're going to be like, yeah, I'm always getting that. Especially in game six. Especially game six. Because you know you're still alive a little bit. You're not, you know. If it was game five and you're down three to one, your your hope's kind of already dead. Game six. It's all right, Jan, let's 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 take care of that butt sweat and cool down. <laughs> God. I couldn't even I couldn't even do it. Oh, that was tough. All right, yeah. It's a quick, it's a quick little uh a cool down session. What is one of your favorite childhood summer traditions yeah it's really simple i mean it's uh, i have one simple one and one bougie one actually i'll say the simple one my dad my dad cooking burgers for us out on the on the balcony you know on the on the outdoor patio and uh you know just being outside with a fresh glass of lemonade uh and 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 some good burgers that's that's kind of a an idyllic scene and and uh, yeah, it's always so nice in Iowa, especially. But uh, my bougie one, 
which used to be a summer tradition. Every other summer, we would go to Portugal. We would go to this beach town called Cascais, and um, and we would play in the beach. Me and my brother would play for hours. We'd play soccer on the sand, and then we'd eat on this restaurant with fresh clams and fresh shrimp and like just in garlic sauce, and it was the best thing in the world. Like truthfully, uh, like just the best food that exists exists. Dude, that's the way to eat right there. Right. And I remember one specific summer we went. It was the summer of 2010, the World Cup in South Africa. And in that restaurant on the beach, at a, in a little beat up TV, we watched Sipiwe Shabalalala score the first goal for South yeah. Africa. And the restaurant went crazy. Nuts. They went nuts. It was yeah. it was one of my fondest memories, honestly. It's so, so cool. That was the definition of a screamer. Ugh, and just for South Africa too. Everyone was going for them. Yeah, is that, is that the only? No, I think they picked up another point. They played. They played pretty well. They 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 fought. They fought well. Yeah, they had it all to do. They had a it. tough. They had a tough. I mean, France sucked, but like you got the prospects of France, Mexico, and Uruguay, and that as much as France sucked, Uruguay was insane. Diego Forlan. Diego Forlan, Luis Suarez. Some of the best, some of the best lettuce on a man's head of all time, Diego Forlan. I do I always just loved, well, I kind of love like I would always I do like random like day, like summer day camps, you know, like your parents just like keep you busy with they like we I had one that was like at the Living History Farms, which is like a recreated old school. This is what Iowa was like in like 1850 and 1800. Uh, it was actually pretty dope. We would do like we do like random crafts and like learn stuff about <laughs> the history and like do <laughs> we have we milked a cat once. Hey, yeah, I so, touched an utter or two in my day. Right. <laughs> it's a shame we already have the the episode name because that's, that's <laughs> not a bad bad one itself. Uh, but like those and then and just like going to the pool. Like, I remember especially as a kid and when we had like our country club. And there's my bougie one. Um, like literally every day going to the pool and like, I, it, it maybe it wasn't that long because I was a child. So, you know, everything seems larger, but I felt like I, we'd get there, like the crack of dawn and stay there until like the sun came down. And I was in that pool all day. Ugh, you just I have just endless energy pool that long. Yeah. Yeah. You could just be in the pool forever. Now I go in a pool and within, within an hour, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm, I'm spent. I want to take a nap. I want to take a nap. I do. Where's the, where's, do where's, the, where's the relaxation part of this pool? Where's the lazy river? Yeah. Where's the towel and the bottle of beer that I can fall asleep next to? That was me the last time yeah, I went to the beach. If I'm in a pool, I'm relaxing. Yeah, exactly. Although I haven't, I haven't played some good pool on uh, basketball in a while. Oh, me and my – that's another that summer tradition. Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to my buddy Derek's wedding at the end of this at the end of this uh, summer. Uh, congratulations, Derek. Can't wait. Um and in my other friend Olaf, um, Olaf's backyard, he had this blow up pool. It was bigger than a kiddie pool, but it was still like very small. And we put a yeah. hoop next to it and it was I have a chip tooth still from it. Like, truthfully, I Hell have yeah. like like Derek, Derek especially bodied bodied a man. He bodied a man. Like, truthfully, it was crazy. That's proper pool. But dude, pool, but I, I like legitimately feel like pool basketball was the most vicious sport that I'd play with my like over like I feel like we can play tackle football and pool basketball would still be 
the more I almost died. It, like it, more dude, than it's once. intense. And those bow, those bows start throwing around. You gotta you gotta Ooh. watch yourself. I know. That's the tooth. That's right there. That's what happened. I I got a little smart trying to trying to come under under screen and uh, and <laughs> Derek got me good. <laughs> the screen and pool basketball. I like that. Uh, yeah, I was just trying my best. Man. Running, running a good, running good offense. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. I, and speaking of weddings, would like to congratulate my my sister and my now official brother-in-law, Nick and Allison Staub for for their wedding and, and marriage. And now they are doing this dope trip in Italy and France. My sister sent some pictures of like our ho- of their hotel room, and my brother responded in our group, like our family group chat. He's like fuck is that the nicest place any of us have ever been to and my dad just responds language language <laughs> just the most dad text response it was hilarious it cracked me up but that uh, america response there. yeah language um but congratulations to them both uh it was an incredible wedding i feel like i'm still still riding the highs from that one um obviously thoughts are with ukraine thoughts are with Brittany griner uh yon you got anything else to to add yeah, just make sure everyone goes out there and enjoys their summer. Be smart about it, but you know, I feel like you, things are things are feeling good in us in certain ways for a long time. There's so much other stuff that isn't good. So if you have a chance, you know, go out there and enjoy yourself. Go to the beach, go to the pool, hang out with your friends. You know, enjoy yourself. You know, just because I think a lot of my friends, the world is coming back a little bit, and they're going right back to being crazy busy and i i applaud that with all of the applause in the world um but make sure that you're also trying to enjoy your life now that you get a little bit back as well for those of us that can say that you know there's a lot of people that can't so you know take you know work hard play harder there you go that's what i was gonna say work hard play hard that's (laughs) honestly a great mantra it is it's simple and it's overused but it's always true it's accurate work hard play hard cheers y'all Thank you.